Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill. GQ, how be you? I guess I'm doing okay, Eric. Uh, went away this past weekend, Mother's Day weekend. Had to visit my 95-year-old. Didn't have to, but what a son does for his 95-year-old mother. Traveled down to the Jersey Shore to spend it with her on Saturday because I had a previous engagement on Mother's Day with my son. So I was kind of out of loop. Did I miss anything? Um, I see Epicenter Epicenter is is running in the Preakness, so I guess he won uh, the Derby, right? No, I'm glad he didn't because I would (laughs) look foolish because I I knew he could win, but I didn't like him in the spot. I just thought he was going to be over bad, and and I thought he was. But he ran very well. I I honestly, I didn't watch the replays, so I don't have too many opinions on who ran well, who didn't run well. I'll watch them before the Preakness, uh, the replay. But um, I don't know, Rich something. Can't remember the uh, parks uh, maiden claimer. I think it was uh, <laughs> was the winner. Yeah, shocked so, the world, I guess, with uh, eighty to one shot. That probably should have been about one hundred eighty to one based on PP. So he was actually an underlay. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. He was an AE, so we didn't even discuss him. But even if he wasn't, I don't think we would have talked much about him. Oh, okay. Rich Strike twenty four, number twenty one. Okay, so I have a few thoughts about that. I, I give the race callers with Larry Colmas and Travis Stone, who did the in-house kudos, because if you look at the saddlecloth for number 21, it basically is white with the black number. Now, what other saddlecloth does horse racing use white with a number? Two. Now, when, when I was watching, I didn't have the sound on where I was, and... I thought that it possibly was the two for a moment. I wasn't sure. Happy and Jack, I actually turned right? the sound up to make sure it was. And then I kind of noticed 21. But yeah. And they both picked him up very late. Like they picked him up well. And oh. he was almost in the lead when they picked him up. But still, to pick him up, you're right. That was tough. Because I'm sure we've had race callers on. We haven't asked him this. But I'm sure they must have an idea of who's possibly winning and who probably has no shot. Oh. They don't have to worry about as much. But that was, that was impressive. Yes. And, and the, the fact, uh, you know, obviously race callers don't look at numbers. They look at silks. So that's how he was able to recognize that it was Rich Strike, not Happy Jack, who I think was black, you know, silks or whatever. But anyway, um, kudos to Rich Strike. And in, in the words of my dearly departed father, who was my horse racing mentor, he would often say when, a horse would win that nobody thought would win. If you told me he was going to win before the race, I still couldn't bet him (laughs) based on looking at the PPs. Now people will say, Oh, but he won by 17 on his own. Okay. Maybe you give him that, you know, uh, people were not giving tis the bomb and Tawny port uh, snowballs chance in hell of winning this race and rich strike ran behind him, you know, so, I mean, what else could there have been? Well, you know, it's hard to explain, but I mean, the two things I would say in hindsight, and I still don't, this is like, you know, just finding 
small slivers of grain, if you will. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, number one, obviously, it was an incredibly insane pace. I, I'm I'm not upset with how my horse ran as far as uh, I like Crown Prince. Listen, out of that race, I don't want Crown Prince as much as anyone because how do you run 21 and change and finish 12th or 13th and not get like totally embarrassed uh, in the final result? He should have walked like home. Messier. Like Messier and, did and, and like um, the other one, the, the one, whatever it was. So, so I was actually very impressed with Crown Prince's race. I knew right away it was over for him. There was zero shot. Right. Um, so I'm not upset with him, but it was an insane pace. So you knew a horse from the back was probably going to win. So that definitely helped restrict. But there were others in the back too. I mean, Mo Donegal, Zandon was fairly far back. I mean, yeah. it should have helped them as well. And it did. And I downgraded those horses without looking at the trip. Maybe they had a lot of trouble, but even still. Uh, and the, I mean, the only argument that I can make, the only, and it's not an argument I would make. He hadn't run in the dirt in a while. So maybe he just, even though he ran okay on the synthetic, although not enough to win a derby, you know, maybe he just improved a lot since his last dirt start. And we couldn't see that because he was on the synthetic where, you know, he didn't show that improvement. Maybe he didn't love it. Again, that's like grasping at straws. I don't necessarily buy that. I mean, obviously some people think nefarious stuff, but, you know, lightning struck, it happened. He's not in the Preakness that broke today. That's a uh, big news for people. A lot of debate on uh, social media about whether it's the right decision or not. Um, I think it was Nick Luck posted something like this was incomprehensible or whatever big fancy word he used. Uh, and a lot of people, some defended him and, and a lot of people kind of attacked him for his thoughts there. You know, but if the horse isn't ready two weeks, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say something nefarious is going on. They just decided he wasn't going to be ready. He didn't, wasn't ready. They're hopefully doing what's right for the horse. I know those connections have been known to be a little shady, perhaps. So <laughs> perhaps that's why, you know, some people are suspicious, but I, I don't know, whatever. He got a great pace. He got a great ride from the jockey, Sonny Leone. And congratulations to Rich Strike, 2022 Nick, Derby winner. Nick Luck post scream nothing more than selfishness on his part because he works for NBC on the horse racing. And so when nobody other than the hardcore horse players are watching uh, the Preakness, and the hardcore horse players aren't watching the NBC broadcast of the Preakness, <laughs> you know? So it's sour grapes on his part that his part-time employer ratings are going to go in the dumpster, even though they said that the ratings for the Derby were like way up. The handle was insane. And that's, that's even with TVG not taking a break from taking bets for three hours on Preakness. Well, you you kind of need two ADWs. You, you really need two ADWs just in general, because one of them is going to break at some point. So you want to have a backup, I guess. That's the uh, moral of the story if uh, you're out there. To tell you how long ago I did away with TVG, the minute there was another game in town other than TVG, that was back when every bet you made, it cost you an extra 25 cents on TVG. I don't know if you go back that far, but no. yeah, TVG was the only game in town and they charge you 25 cents per bet per wager. Wow. I'd be in trouble. Hey, like, <laughs> hey, like that for takeout. <laughs> That's insane. But anyway, uh, I digress. Next week we'll have our whole Preakness show. Looking forward to that. GQ, speaking Maryland speaking guys, of which she's on the clock to get us a good guess for the Preakness. Well, here, here's, here's the thing. Um, one, the logistics just for myself, because I have tickets to an affair on Wednesday of Preakness uh, week that starts at 7 p.m. 
and I know how concise our podcasts are, you know, that I'd be able to do it. So I, and I'm going to be at Pimlico from dusk till dawn or dawn till dusk, uh, both Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So I might have to do it remote from Pimlico, maybe via my Zoom app on my phone. And as you said, the pressure is on me to get a decent guest. So maybe if I do it that way, I can snag somebody. All right. Very cool. And, and if the PPs come out early enough and you want to do it early Wednesday, we could as well. But we'll uh, we'll discuss that off the air. The listeners don't care about the uh, logistics of the show. Well, hopefully the, we get the, a good the, guest or maybe a medley of guests for like five minutes here, five minutes there. You'll roam the crowd and get people. Yeah, there you go. Do that as well. They're, they're, you know, think outside the box. Maybe we can do that. You know? Live on the scene. We're also trying to figure out if we can get to the 21st century and go uh, video with this podcast. Yeah, we're looking That's- into that. I, I didn't want to spring it on our guests this week, but hey, we're doing video too. So we'll, uh, we'll incorporate that soon, sooner rather than later. We're thinking about it. My only problem with like YouTube, with the shows on YouTube is when you watch on YouTube, you got to have your phone if you're watching on your phone on YouTube, you can't be doing other things where right. a podcast, you could be doing other things on your phone. You could be driving, whatever, and still listen, True. which is why I listen most of the time. So we'll, we'll see. But um, so we don't have an 18 hour show today. Uh, we have a very loquacious guest who's an excellent guest. Uh, and he's really a Twitter superstar. Uh, so we're looking forward to chatting with him. He's a former trainer, Charles Simon, I guess. Can we call him Chuck? We don't really know him yet, but hopefully we can call him Chuck Simon. Uh, earlier, or actually not earlier today, usually it's early today, the interview takes place. This one has not taken place yet. So moments from now, you'll hear it in about three seconds, but moments from now, GQ is going to sit down with Chuck Simon, uh, ask him a bunch of questions, and then we are going to handicap the late pick five from Belmont on Saturday, May 14th. Got a couple of graded stakes races. It's the grade one man of war. You got some monster horses running as well, and Gufo, Yabir. And then we have the Peter Pan race nine. That's a grade three event for three rolls. Maybe not quite ready for the triple crown races, but a lot of times you get a horse out of the Peter Pan or two running in the Belmont stakes. And we'll take a look at that race later on the show. But first we sat down with Chuck Simon and discussed all things racing. Oh, Thanks a lot, Eric. And yes, as advertised, um, our special guest this week, is Mr. Chuck Simon. Chuck is the co-host of a podcast called Going in Circles with a recent guest of ours, Barry the Sniper Spears. Chuck is a graduate of the University of Arizona, uh, the horse racing program. I want to ask him about that. And he's a big uh, proponent of the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act. Chuck, Thanks a lot for taking the time to join us. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Hey, no problem. So uh, are, are you uh, still licking your wounds like everyone else over last weekend's derby result? Or uh, how did you see that race? I know my my top picks, I think, ran 13th, 17th, and 18th. Um, honestly, I did very well last weekend. Good. <laughs> the, the derby notwithstanding. But uh... – uh, as a matter of fact, if Ian Wilkes' horse had been able to hold on in the turf classic, you guys might not have been able to reach me because I wouldn't have been <laughs> on my private island at that point. But um, 
yeah, the Derby result was was kind of inscrutable, but I, I did really well. I loved the horse on the undercard the day before uh, Brendan Walsh's filly, um, New Year's Eve. Ah, yeah. And, I mean, she to me was was a. Uh, I was willing to take her at five or six to one, and she's sitting up there at fifteen to one. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, I fired away at that one. That that was a very very good uh, result for me, and uh, um the day uh, obligatory i liked a lot the philly the closing sprinter the bill Motts that won on on the derby undercard and uh so i, I did pretty good in the weekend but like i said the, the derby itself was like i don't know i i looked at the race afterwards and there's just no way to come up with that horse with any <laughs> logical reasoning i mean it just isn't and right you know, i mean it just sometimes that happens i mean it happens in races that don't have the the cachet of the Kentucky Derby that aren't you know hyper analyzed like that one. I mean, every yes. day, not every day, but you know, every once in a while, you look at a race and some horse will win, and you'll be like, like, where did that come from? You know, like how how did that horse that horse didn't show a thing, and all of a sudden, bang, wins. But uh, but you know, today's big news, of course, is is them skipping the Derby or the, excuse me, the Preakness, which um. I mean, everyone's up in arms, but I mean, nobody even heard of the horse a week ago, so I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> right. And, you know, uh, can't, I really can't blame them based on the circumstances and other things, you know, surrounding the horse. And who knows? You know, the, it, from from after the race, all he kept saying was, no, he could, could get the distance. The longer, the better, the longer, the better. So, hey, maybe he comes back in uh, four weeks and uh, – you know, is competitive in, in the Belmont, who knows, but that's, Hey, that's horse racing. Like you said, I think, uh, people forget about just horse racing folks. Uh, everybody uh, needs to, you know, just chill out and realize that, uh, life's going to go on. They're going to run the Preakness on third Saturday of May and, uh, you'll have the Derby favorite. So, and, uh, the Oaks winner. So, you know, there's there's a there's a good uh, you know uh, substitute uh, subtitle for for the Preakness. You know, the, the old Battle of the Sexes Part Three. <laughs> you know, the, right. the girls are two and zero oh so far. So uh, we'll see uh, how that plays out. But um, so Chuck, uh, I uh, am going to I think embarrass not only you, my my host uh, co-host eric but myself uh because today is a special day in your life and so i'm going to do my worst impression of bill murray's character from saturday night live nick winters the lounge singer and say happy birthday happy birthday to you Happy 55th birthday, Chuck Simon, you knucklehead. Happy birthday to you. Hey, you're not going to get that on every podcast, right? No, that's for sure. Thank you. I don't even like to admit I have birthdays at this point. <laughs> yeah, you know what? When yeah, when we get to our age, uh, we just rather forget them, right? Just move on. Well, Facebook says I'm 32, so that's what I'm sticking with. There Facebook's you go. never wrong. Hey, that sounds like a good number. So, hey, well, in all honesty or sincerity, uh, congratulations on, on reaching. On uh, <laughs> making another year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> congrats on not dying. That's very nice. 
I'm <laughs> <laughs> surviving. That's right. So, hey, at this point, whatever, man. I'm cool with it. <laughs> so, so as we always do with our guests, we like to get a little background before we get into the handicapping portion. So, you're a pride product of the Empire State, uh, a stone's throw from Saratoga, where you actually grew up. So I I assume that's where the horse racing bug came in. Did it come from uh, your dad, family members, or just because of proximity of uh, living in Saratoga? Well, my dad was a big fan. I mean, he, he would go to the races all the time, and he used to have um, seats in the grandstand at the, the thoroughbred track, and we'd go to the harness track, of course, back then the thoroughbred track was only open for a month um and you know living in saratoga or living i went to school in saratoga you can't escape it and people in saratoga generally fall into two categories those that love the racing and those that hate the racing <laughs> you know the people that don't like all the intruders they right. call them coming in and uh you know, causing traffic and, and other issues for, for the summer. But um, I, I think generally most people like it. And then, um, I mean, people, they rent their houses for like ridiculous amounts of money now. I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. $15,000, $20,000, mm-hmm. you know, for six weeks. I mean, that's a hell of an Airbnb. They've been doing that for years. But, but that's kind of how I got into it. And when I was a kid, my dad was like, get a job and um, I wound up getting, he wound up getting me a job at a horse farm. I worked there for like two days and, uh, I decided that wasn't for me. And I went to the, the harness track and, and snuck in and got a job. I was like 15 years old. Um, but I was always big. So, you know, I was tall. So people thought I was older and I, and that's how really I got into it. I just started, you know, working on the backside and, um, my first job, I, I worked for Cherie DeVoe's dad. Hmm. And I made uh, $40 a week and they got, they bought me lunch every day. That was my, my thing. And I was a groom and I jogged horses and, and stuff like that. But, but um, you know, it, it, it just, I wound up, you know, migrating to the other side of the, of the road over to the thoroughbred side. And um, I, I, I played basketball for two years in college. And then I quickly decided that, uh, you know, it was kind of determined that the NBA wasn't in my future. And my dad was like, you ever heard about the school in Arizona that's, that's a racetrack school? And I was like, yeah, this this is for me, you know. So really? I went to Arizona for three years, graduated with an animal science degree um, and took all the racetrack program classes and got a got a chance to work as an assistant racing secretary at Yonkers, a harness track in, in New York because of connections that I had, um, you know, growing up in Saratoga. And uh, when I first got the job, I was 20, which would make me by far the youngest racing official and probably yeah. in major track history <laughs> <laughs> by a long ways. Right. Um, so it, it was kind of an interesting job. It was uh, it was a lot of work back then. We raced a lot more than we race now. Naira was racing six days a week and Yonkers in the summertime went seven nights. We were mm. racing seven nights and then they decided to run uh, a double header card on Tuesdays, which was the only dark day. So for about, I think about five weeks, one summer, we ran eight cards a week, which um, was like, I mean, we were zombies. Yeah. You know? 
because we were getting there, you know, in the morning to, to draw the entries and, and then we would come back at night and it just made for, you know, long days, but, uh, it was great experience. And, uh, eventually I got a little bit sour on the, the racing, um, you know, the, the management side and, and, and really wanted to go back to working with the horses. And, um, I actually started out working for, uh, Wayne Lucas. Wow. Todd Pletcher was the assistant. George Weaver was a foreman. Uh, Mark Henning had just left not that long ago. I believe Dallas was still working as the assistant in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Barnett, the trainer, he was he was still he was there, and so I worked there for a little while, and, and um, I wound up working for uh, Tommy Skiffington, uh, who was a you know really good turf trainer for one of the first real um, guys in this country to focus on turf horses mostly and uh he had you know he had really good horses he trained for shadwell and mrs payson and all those you know that type of owner and um i left and and i went to work uh to for nick zito for a while i worked for pete ferriola for a winter he was like the claiming king in uh in new york at the time um and it just was a you know a good education and then the opportunity arose so a spot open with Alan Jerkins, which is something that almost never happened because no one wow. left there. Uh, someone else's misfortune was my good fortune. And I wound up going over there for, for six years. And um, when I was there, when I first started, Jimmy was, was still uh, his assistant. And, you know, I, I worked with Jimmy for about a year and a half and then he went on his own. So that was kind of a, you know, a, really a, a life changing experience. And, uh, I mean, it were great years. There were a lot of, you know, we worked hard, but, um, just, I learned so much that it was, uh, so much, so much of the stuff that I learned there, I, I still use today in, in life, you know, some of the life lessons learned sure. was more than just, uh, you know, learn about horses. And, um, and then I got an opportunity to, I got one day, a, an agent came and said, Hey, uh, I got an opportunity for you. Let's have lunch tomorrow. I was like, all right. You know, I had no idea what he was, he was getting at. And he came the next day and he said, Ken Ramsey, you heard of him? And I said, I've heard of him. And he, and he wasn't the guy, you know, the big owner at that time. Right. That sure. It got to be. But I was like, yeah, I've seen this horse's race, you know. And he's like, he's looking for a trainer. And, you know, I, I, I nominated you. I was wow. like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, I talked to Alan about you and, you know, so I, I went down there and I wound up, you know, working for Ramsey for a couple of years and um, then, uh, you know, picked up different owners and I trained for about 20 years, uh, did, you know, did fairly well. I mean, I, I was in, you know, top three or four trainers in Churchill a couple of times and Keeneland uh, sure. a couple of times. And, uh, you know, we won, we won a lot of stake races, not, not, a, not a, you know, we didn't win any, any triple crown type races you know but sure. we did we did pretty good and cool. uh it just got to be a, a little bit of a battle for me to try to keep up with the bigger outfits we just a lot of the second string horses i trained for people the big outfits mm-hmm. um they started going staying with the first string guys oh wow and, you know uh i had two two people who were billionaires that were really looking to get into the game from south america and uh, unfortunately, both of them passed away within about 15 months of each other. And 
And that just kind of took the wind out of my sails. And, and I had poor horses. And, you know, the one thing about cheap horses is that there's not a whole lot of training involved there. I mean, it's just basic stuff. You, you can't make a slow horse fast. And uh, I, I had a conversation with Shug McGahee about this. And I, and I said, you know, when you get to the horses and, and you tried everything, like you've tried everything that you know to try to help a horse and nothing worked, you know, and you're already racing at the bottom. I mean, it just gets a little depressing. And a lot of people are in that situation. A lot of trainers, they're good trainers, aren't getting horses and or aren't getting horses that they can do anything with. Right. And that, that that's really uh, the frustration comes out where um, where it doesn't really matter. You know it. And that and that, that really weighed on me. That, that's kind of why I, I stopped. Um, you know, that and yeah. I started, I started losing more money that I was making. I mean, you're not supposed to work seven days a week, 365 days a year to lose money. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the thing. People who know very little, if not anything about, uh, the industry themselves and the people who work in the industry just have no idea, um, the time and energy it takes out of people uh, and especially like yourself a trainer um you know unfortunately they only see the glamorous side of of that you know uh when triple crown and breeders cup rolls around but um knowing a few trainers who are scraping the bottom of the barrel to to have any horse they they can get their hands on to to try to make them just a little better um kudos to you for for making it a career for as long as you did um i do have a question about your time at arizona do you have any stories about the anybody who also went through that program you know playing beer pong with them or anything that you can share with us (laughs) (laughs) um man i tell you one thing i learned not to drink with the the, the late great Luke Kryposh because awesome. he, he, he would put you away like <laughs> it, 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 he was like a grade one horse and you were like <laughs> like a four claimer I mean that man was was he, he was unstoppable <laughs> one of the best guys you ever meet and, and and him passing away was something that man that, that really hit hard because he was just one of those guys that you just um he was just likable, you know, everybody liked him. If you were around him, you liked it. If you didn't like him, there was something wrong with you. And, and he, he just had that way of making you, you know, wow. I don't know. It's hard to say, but, uh, and I know he helped a lot of people, um, you know, he helped a lot of announcers get their start. Pete Iello, of course, is, is probably the one that, um, you know, has given him the credit the most, but, uh, you know, I lived, my roommate was Bobby Newman. You know, oh, wow. Prairie Meadows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We cool. we actually ran a future book one year and <laughs> we had some serious exposure in the, in the, the, the 1990 <laughs> Derby, but <laughs> we got lucky. And uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was a lot of people from California in the program then. So, so we, we cool. would, you know, we, we'd knock down the prices on the California horses. And, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we had some, <laughs> we used to go to, uh, to, uh, to Nogales. The, the Bob Offer was born in Nogales, but this was uh, the other side to Nogales in, in, in Mexico. On the Mexican side, 
it's because Nogales is a border city. It's about about an hour south of Tucson, and uh, they had an OTB in a hotel there. And you got to remember, this was before, well, hell, it was before the internet. Right. <laughs> so there was no TVG. There was no, uh, you know, there's very little account wagering. Sure. Um, so you ba- basically you, you bet at the track or you didn't bet. And uh, we used to, to take little day trips and go down across the border and sit in this little place. And uh, they, they used to give us the tickets. They would make, they were carbon copy paper. You know, they would. They would write the the bet out, and, and uh, if you bet in pesos, you got paid in pesos. If you bet in dollars, you got paid in dollars. Sometimes the sig- they would pirate the signal, um, the satellite signal, and of course, sometimes they would lose it. So, you know, we would bet on a race and not know who won I for an hour. Yeah, but um, but yeah, we, the, the the lengths that we used to have to go to back then. Uh, to get a bet down or watch right. a race. People have no idea now. When I, when I hear you know people say, well, we got to modernize racing, I'm thinking to myself, in my lifetime, we went to having to cross the border to, to watch a pirated signal to now walking down the street at, at any time of the day with an ADW account. You can, you can watch a race or bet on a race from almost anywhere. Mm. So, I mean, I was betting Hong Kong yesterday, yesterday morning. Um, uh, it's you know on my phone from my house and and right. that's something that like you'd think 25 30 years ago <clears throat> we barely even knew there was a Hong Kong you know that, that raced so to think that we could make a bet and uh on that and it's just uh you know it's it's, it's how it's evolved and it's it's really one of the things that gonna one of my pet peeves about racing is that the people that run racing don't um don't promote racing they want to promote everything else but the racing and the racing is the great part and and i think that the dumbing down of trying to dumb everything down is 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 a big mistake because the younger generation seems to like the complication Um, yes and i think that's part of the the trick of handicapping is a puzzle and when you add in um you know kind of what eric was saying before about uh the betting side of it that you can be a great handicapper and a poor better and never win. Uh, you can be a great better and a poor handicapper and, and actually do better because you know how to structure um, mm-hmm. your, your risk. And, and that's something that I think is really appealing. And yet we still get a lot of racing management that wants to make everything simple. And, and it's, it's, to me, it's like 180 degrees the wrong way, but uh but that's a fight we'll just have to continue to keep fighting yeah and and you know i think a lot of us who are on twitter trying to promote horse racing you know have those ideas uh like you had just said and and voice them but uh you would think for the free advice these tracks would uh, kind of uh jump on, jump one but uh, you know for whatever reason they don't you know it's, it's the old Cause we've always done it this way type of mentality. Uh, and, and like you said, I mean, they, they, they just don't know how to market what they have. So it, it's unfortunate, but hopefully maybe one day there'll be uh, track owners that actually have interest in, in the sport and want to promote it and uh, lean on the people who have the good ideas in order to, to make it better. So um, good, good stuff. 
so as far as your handicapping, uh, are you a DRF guy? Have you moved on to other uh, avenues? Do you do the replays? How do you go about uh, finding the horses that uh, you think have the best shot at win? Um, I do. I do look at the DRF because I'm just comfortable with it. Um, I look at the thoroughgraph. Uh, I look at Brisnep um, a lot of times. Um, <laughs> I go to the the free Brisnep, <laughs> you know, accounts for the trainers, just sometimes to get a different view of of a race. Sure. Um, and and they have stats. Sometimes they're a little bit different. Uh, you know, replays are are so easily available now. And yeah. I do think that that the replay is is an area where um, th there's still some, you know, there's so much, it, it's changed so much since, you know, the days we were just talking about yes. where people didn't have so much access and wasn't so readily available. Um, you know, horses that, that back then would have opened up eight, nine, 10 to one. Mm -hmm. that you knew had a terrible trip or, or were on a terrible part of the track or, you know, two horses from the race had come out and, and, and you know, one big and uh, things. Now everyone knows back then people didn't know. Right. And those horses now open up five to two and they mm -hmm. used to open up seven, eight to one. So <laughs> it, it's, it's more difficult, but you have to still try to find the areas that, um, that you think that maybe the information isn't hundred percent accurate because remember one thing about, about a lot of this and and we've seen this at Gulfstream and, and even like Delmar any of the tracks that were using that G-Max system which was supposed to be you know new and, and better but it turned out to be not so good at all mm -hmm. like the, the actual information is not even accurate and, and that really kind of you know when the official information when the timing of the races isn't accurate that really kind of makes okay. it makes it you know really difficult but uh I was talking about this with someone the other day and I said, I still think there's, there's inefficiencies in some of the data that we get. Um, I think some of the time that we see uh, people forget about buyers that they're raw speed figures for the most part, that they're adjusted for the, you know, the quote unquote speed of the track that day, mm -hmm. but they're not adjusted for anything else. They're not adjusted for wind. They're not adjusted for pace. They're not adjusted for trip or, or, or how much ground loss or uh, track bias of any sort. So, you know, people sometimes forget that in, in, in those, those cases. And sometimes, you know, you can find, um, you know, numbers that you don't really believe in. You think, well, yeah, I mean, the horse got a 98, but it was, it was earned under like absolutely ideal circumstances, kind of like Rich Strikes Derby, right? I mean, yeah. You can, you can look at that race and say, well, yeah, he definitely proved and he ran a big race and all that but when you look at the race in totality everything that happened okay the the two horses coming out of ua derby gonna battle 45 to the half all right that doesn't happen he doesn't win he doesn't yeah. run 101 buyer mm -hmm. uh he doesn't make you know every right move the jock like hit the lotto that day he every every move he made worked and every time he he, he zigged when the other guy zagged and, and it worked out so you look at that number and you say, all right, this was 101 buyer he got, but that was earned under perfect conditions. So is that really, you know, could a horse that's running 95s, 93s beat him in the next race? Absolutely. Uh, unquestionably. Sure. Um, 
you know, Thoroughgraph gives numbers. There's some tracks, like the West Virginia tracks, always the numbers seem too good. And they go somewhere else and they run in a different circuit. And sometimes they're the top number and they, you know, routinely get drummed. And I think, you know, you got to remember too that um, you have different people doing different numbers for various places. Um, you know, no one's going to be able to do all the numbers for all the tracks. So there's always going to be that human element that, that maybe, you know, the variety or the, the variance is, is off a little bit. And, um, you know, that, that's something to, that means, you know, you, you can't just bet chalk in this business. You know, you got to bet against yeah. favorites and, and, uh, it's harder than ever because their favorites win more than, than they ever have. And, you know, field size is smaller. Uh, the big outfits are bigger. So, you know, you still got to find the cracks in the armor, I, I guess would be the best way to put it. True. Yeah. And l- like you said about not betting chalk, because, I mean, historically, you know, the favorite wins 20 some odd percent of the time. So the majority of the time, the favorite's not winning. So it's finding the horse that that's going to beat that favorite. But like you said, with the dwindling um, field sizes, plus the more sophistication as far as handicapping and the products that we have available and the resources we have available to us, the more sophisticated, better, uh, is, like you said, is going to make that horse that used to be eight to one, five to two. Uh, and uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, that that's the good thing. That's the good and the bad about technology and where the, uh, we've gone with horse racing versus having to uh, stand in line and make a $2 exact bet, then go get in another line to sit, get a $5 win bet. And then after you cash, go to another line uh, in order to cash your bet. Yeah, I tell old I, 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 I remember <laughs> those days. And, I mean, I wasn't old enough to bet then, but <laughs> well, neither I was I. When- when when you had to go to different lines to bet different denominations and yeah it, it was uh it, it was you know remember they had the different colored tickets oh yeah yeah so it was uh it's a lot different and, and I, I think that's why you know i i really am a big believer in, in picking your spots and um you know he's kind of a controversial figure on twitter but inside the pylon I know you. <laughs> we could have guessed. <laughs> he he he's right, and and he, his message is generally uh, poorly received because of the manner in which it's sure. delivered. <laughs> but his 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 message is right, and mm. and honestly, I've become a better handicapper. Not a better handicapper, but a better better since I started actually taking. You know, I, I've I've talked to him, um, you know, privately about some you know certain things and. And, you know, the point being that, that you have to play the percentages and the odds. And um, it's not just about cashing tickets, it's about cashing the right tickets. And, and that's, that's made me a better player. And that, uh, yeah, sometimes you'll, you'll have streaks where you just keep losing because, you know, and the favorites beat you and you feel like you're never going to pick another winner, right? You're never going to cash another ticket. But when the, the the big scores come, then then all of a sudden it's it's always you know it's it's forgotten. But but no, I, I think these days that sometimes the cards that they were given to bet on just aren't very good. And that was one of the great things about you know like Derby Weekend was 
the cards were solid. I mean, right. Ben Huffman at, at Churchill Downs, the great racing secretary. And I mean, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, cards were all really, really solid. The undercards were good. The allowance races were good. You know, there was like, other than maybe Juju's map, I, I don't think there was another like um, real standout on the undercards and the allowance or maiden races that, you know, just couldn't, you know, she, she was really tough but yeah uh you know we we're, we're used to now seeing that these days and in, in these races where we have to take uh four to five shots in a maiden race or an allowance race it's like ugh, you just roll your <laughs> eyes but you know uh but there wasn't any of those outside like i said outside of one exception so that that was kind of like a uh you know how racing used to be and um i think that's kind of a, another reason why these big cards get so much handle on you know even more the, the handle growth on the big days is is you know one of the key areas and i believe it's because a lot of times you get um opportunities to bet big fields and competitive fields and um i wish i i wish we had more of that that's that's yeah. really something that uh, that racing is missing and, and that's just not the big race i'm talking about you know, like we said, we were talking before, you know, having a steady diet of, of, of uh, six horse uh, $7,500 claimers, that's just not, you know, there's just, they're just not appealing races. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think many people will say uh, the answer is consolidation of the industry so that, you know, consolidation of the tracks, which means the horses are more centralized and then you'll have your bigger fields. And but that that's not working. true though because the industry's been consolidating for about 25 years and when a b level track closes very few of those horses migrate to an a level track uh, if they were they were good enough to compete at an a level track they would already be there right and and mostly we're seeing c level tracks go uh the suffolk downs is you know uh mm -hmm. even arlington uh, the the racing in arlington um over the last few years and, and believe me, I, I love Arlington. It's a great track. I stabled there for two years, and I, I love the people in Chicago. Racing there is, you know, it's kind of a, a really depressing thing to think that, you know, they're down to just Hawthorne. When uh, it's at one time, Chicago was like a thriving uh, racing area with like seven tracks at this, you know, now they're down to one. Mm. But, um, but the horses there, you know, they've migrated to uh, Canterbury and in Indiana, right. um, some of the Prairie Meadows. So they're, they're not really, you know, it, it didn't help Belmont. It doesn't help Keeneland. It doesn't help Churchill. It doesn't help, you know, the tracks that, that get most of the handle anyways. Those are the, actually the tracks that are doing well. The A signals are doing good. It's it's everybody else is struggling. And, and you know, we've seen some of the tracks get off their traditional days. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys but harness very much but uh i mean gabe pruitt at pompano did an unbelievable job in finding the niche for his track mm -hmm. and he stopped racing on fridays and saturdays which are you know traditionally the sure. two biggest days two biggest nights and he said well i, I gotta go up against mohawk and, and the meadowlands which are the two biggest signals by far and we just don't you know we're, we're getting pummeled by them you know moving the friday saturday cards to sunday monday the handle went up 250, 300%.
And it's just about, you know, even nowadays, like we see some days some Tuesdays and Wednesday nights where there's like no thoroughbred signals at all. And I'm thinking some of these B-level tracks, you know, like, like Golden Gate, why wouldn't Golden Gate run, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you know, wouldn't that make more sense for them to run those days? It's not like they get a big uh, crowd anyways. And, and your, the signal is what, what matters. And, you know, we, we look what during COVID when Foner was running and they were the only track running, they were doing 4 million bucks, you know, Foner, they don't do 400,000, but they were the only game in town. And I think that's, that's something that, uh, you know, racing needs to figure out as well. You know, I mean, parks has done really well getting off of Saturdays because Saturdays, they were a lost signal. I mean, honestly, on, on a Saturday in the summertime, who, who's going to bet parks, you know? Uh, but on a Wednesday when nothing else is running, that signal is more attractive. Uh, so, yeah, so um, I, I, I hear you loud and clear. I just wish um, a, a, lot, a lot of the uh, those in the industry and at these tracks, like you said, these, these B-level tracks would, would get the memo uh, from what the horse players are, are looking to get. But uh, so speaking, speaking of you had mentioned ITP, uh, we'll transition to my co-host Eric for the handicapping segment as he, I believe he has a shrine in his apartment to ITP. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> after all, Chuck, you know, he, he was the one who named this podcast and it's better betting. And so He's he's one of ITP's mentors, and he's 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 drunk the Kool Aid, and he he and his mission is to get people to to uh, structure their tickets better. So, um, uh, without further ado, and I'm sure Eric probably has a question or two for you as well. Uh, Eric, uh, Chuck's all yours. And to tell you how much people want to know about the betting side and ITP, our two biggest episodes were the two that he was on <laughs> by far they outdid the others in uh, terms of numbers of listeners so definitely there's a, a demand for that out there i enjoyed hearing you chuck talk about some of those old trainers uh you work for i was waiting here like gasper moshera's name and howie tesher just brought back memories like the 90s back at Nairo when i was kind of growing up there and uh really enjoyed hearing that um, I, know, I know GQ referenced your podcast earlier, but before we get into handicapping, can you just tell the listeners um, about your podcast a little bit, what you do on it, and then uh, where they can find it? You know, I, I started my podcast um, during the, the, the COVID started, COVID started, and, and, and everything was getting shut down. And I was still working seven days a week because I, I, was, I was facilitating a, a, a horseman to feed company. So, you know, even if the world's in a pandemic, horses still have to eat. So that was kind of a seven day week thing. And my friend was like, you should do a podcast. And I was thinking to myself, I, I hadn't even like considered it. Right. I was like, podcast. Wow. Who would listen to me talk? And he's like, you know, everything about everything. Blah, 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 blah. So I said, all right, let me try it. And I, uh, so I, I got, you know, I wound up, doing a couple episodes and, and, and it was, you know, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that people seemed to be listening and um, it got a little bit monotonous, just one person. And 
if it's just you talking, unless you're like, you know, uh, Chick Hearn or somebody, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of need a color guy. And, um, you know, Barry and I had become friends over the internet actually. And, uh, you know, he was kind of interested in, in a lot of, um, the inner workings of the game that, that, that don't get talked about. And, you know, I, I invited him on a show one day and I said, you know, you know, it seemed like it worked out so well. I said, why don't you just, why don't we just do this every week? And we wound up, you know, making the, the Monday our, our day, kind of a recap of the weekend, a preview of the, the, the rest of the week. And um, so the big Monday show came about uh, kind of that way. And, um, you know, one of the ideas that I, I wanted to do was that uh, to try to educate people. And there's so much out there. Racing does such a poor job of education in that people don't understand so many things like when you see a horse get a positive drug test, that doesn't mean that that, that medication, that horse had any effect on the horse at all. It may not have had hardly at all, any effect. Um, but people think that the, the rules are set up that the tech, that, that whatever level is found over a certain level, that that meant that horse was, was helped by that medication. That's absolutely not true. It's simply a detection level. It's, it's a random number in a lot of ways created by the laboratories, not, not created by any research. And, and that's something that that's just been a misconception that no one in horse racing, you know, said, Hey, we should tell the people that, yeah, it's against the rule, but it didn't, you know, the, the possibility is that it, it probably didn't affect the horse's performance, uh, especially for some of the mundane things. Uh, and it just is, there's so many other things out there. And I said, you know, like no one else is, is, is telling people these things. And um, the racetracks don't think it's their job. Um, the, the, you know, everyone doesn't think it's their job. So uh, a lot of people are sponsored and um, they're not, you know, they have to be particular. People in racing are very sensitive. It's, it's an amazing thing. You know, you go to a racetrack and people yell at TVs and throw stuff. And <laughs> you would think that it, it's a it's a it's a place where people would have thick skin. But the people that are involved in racing have, have very thin skin, very, very thin skin. And it's a competitive business. It's understandably, but um, you know, sometimes we, people are going to they're going to enjoy something more when they understand. it, And when you explain to them some of the things that that don't get explained, people are like, wow, well, I didn't know that. And it's, it's, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things we try to do. And, and Barry and I have a good rapport. Um, but Barry is kind of an outsider. Barry's not a guy that worked in the industry or, you know, he's never been a backside guy or anything. So I thought, you know, our, our collaboration was guys from, uh, two different angles looking at the same thing. And, and it, it's it's worked pretty pretty well so far. And it's called Going in Circles, and Going you can circles. get it on pretty much any podcast uh, app or site. Any app, man. We're on every app. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 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 uh, uh, yeah, it's available on, on any of the big apps. Um, you know, just just going in circles. One of the the things that I, I kind of stumbled into it was that if you there, there's so many names out there that are taken and um 
you know, going in circles, there's like a song that Luther Vandross wrote that when, you know, you'd, you'd Google going in circles and that would come up, but that was about the only thing. So if you, 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 you know, you Google going in circles horse or going in circles podcast or anything, it comes up right away. Um, that, I guess that matters these days. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we enjoy doing it. It, it winds up every week. I try to cut it, you know, keep it to an hour and every week it goes to, um, but we don't give picks out. Like we're not like, um, uh, we don't handicap races. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll handicap like the Derby, right? I mean, a big race we'll talk about, we'll discuss the horses in it because people are interested in that. And it's just that that's just, you know, I get feedback and, and 90% of our feedback winds up be, being that, uh, or stewards, <laughs> stewards generally hate me nationwide for pointing out their, you know, their poor decisions, which unfortunately there's a lot of them, but, um, yeah, it, it's just, a you know, kind of a, a show that's, uh, you know, we like feedback too. And, and I tell people, I said, tell me if you don't like something, you know, or tell me if you disagree with us or tell me if you do agree with it or whatever, because that's really what it, you know, a podcast should do. It should, uh, it should give you, you questions or you should have questions. And the interaction is, is really, I mean, racing is a social sport. I mean, like all of us have the experience of going to the track with our fathers or our families or our uncles or, or our friends and, 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 you know, having an argument over a race. Um, I think the horse should come down. You know, you don't think the horse should come down and blah, blah, blah. And it, it really wasn't meant for us to just partake alone. So I think that's, that's something that a lot of the podcasts do in the, you know, people tell me, well, you know, we, we listen to it uh, on the, you know, when I'm driving to work or, or, uh, you know, something like that. So, uh, you know, and anything that we can do to, to talk about racing and to try to, you know, we're promoting it, but we're also willing to, to point out the mistakes that are made. And, and that's something that uh, we don't have much of a media left an independent media in horse racing. Mm-hmm. Most in most media in racing is tied to an ADW or um another group of some sorts like the blood horse is owned by the toba um any of the tvg people are working for uh, you know they're working for a big they work for flutter which is one of the biggest gambling organizations in the world mm-hmm. um so most of our media is not independent it's not like it used to be it's not people that work for newspapers it's people who work for other industry organizations and as i said before uh, there's a lot of sensitivity in this business. So um, sometimes we do, we take on some of the, the things that, that just don't get talked about because people literally have their hand, you know, they're handcuffed in some ways. And I, I get it. You know, you work for, um, if you work for a big track company, well, you can't really criticize that big track company, right? That's your boss. So even if you don't agree with some of the things they do, you have to kind of keep quiet. So that's kind of what we try to do and, and, you know, try to mix it up. And, um, you know, we were last week or excuse me, a couple months ago, we were talking about like doing some contests and just, you know, talking about hall of fame horses and just kind of things like that, fun things. And it's like every week we got to talk about Bob Baffert because some new shit comes up and it's like, uh, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) that, that finally has died down finally, you know, and, um, and, and, uh, I'm sure this week we'll be talking about, you know, who's, who's not in the practice, but, uh, 
But anyways, that's kind of a, a long way, a long roundabout way of uh, describing our podcast, Going in Circles. And the, think- the Big Monday show, I used to do two shows, and I actually have plans to do a lot more um, this summer. Uh, we're going to do some... Uh, some some one-on-one interviews with some big industry names and they're not going to be like fluff interviews you know, like hey geez how's so-and-so doing you know it's going to be like <laughs> hey you know what is your feelings on this and then we're going to press and, and uh you know I, I guess we'll do as many as uh until people refuse to start coming on but <laughs> you're going to be like but, the tim russert of horse racing we'll get yeah kind of kind of like you know a little bit but i i think that people would would like to know about people more than the surface that we get because we we get a lot of surface stuff in racing and, oh and, yeah um and uh you know eric reed is finding out about like you know when when you when you do say something that some people might not take uh take kindly to you're uh they're, they're gonna bring it up and you know mm-hmm. but um definitely well, it's, fu- it, it's funny you were saying about, you know, and, and rightfully so, people who are having their paychecks and on their check, you know, the, the company that, that, you know, helps them pay their mortgage is on there. They have to bite their tongue a lot of times. They have to watch what they say. And, you know, Eric and I always joke because we criticize openly different things. And we always say, well, there goes one potential sponsor. <laughs> so right. we're, no, we're still no, no. looking for our first sponsor, but uh, it, it's good to be able to have that freedom to just speak your mind uh, because uh, you don't have somebody, uh, you know, dangling the carrot there uh, to make sure you're, you, you stay true to their right, you know, agenda. So stay, stay within the lines, my friend. That's what they want you to do. I do want to say we, we've had a sponsor for a long time, uh, Pleasant Acre Farms in, in Ocala. Um, just great people, and and cool. they they're you know they they're like minded. They they think like us, and and they don't mind uh, you know that we we go off on tangents so you know once in a while. But uh, if you do have a mare and you want to breed in Florida, Pleasant Acre Farms, Joe and Helen, Helen Barbazon, those are the people you should talk to because uh, I had horses with them and. Believe me, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't endorse anything that. Um, I'm not like Shaq, right? I'm not going to just endorse anything that comes and they, they give me money for. But um, I'm also not, you know, seven foot four. But um, Shaq doesn't yeah. like Pizza John. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> Papa John's. Papa John's. I knew. I, I don't like Papa. What's the name? So. Yeah. 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 I, I, I couldn't. You know, Papa John's had to pay me an awful lot to get people to. Everybody's <laughs> like, you wouldn't eat that on a bet. And it's like, well, you're from New York. I, you know, pizza means something to us. Oh, yeah. We, we can't eat yeah. that crap. SQQ <laughs> trying to get me to eat. I don't know if it was him or someone else trying to get me eat, uh, pizza during the Preakness or Black Eyed Susan last year. I looked at it. I said, I'm from New York. I wouldn't even touch that, let alone put it in my body. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you on the pizza stuff. But uh, anyway, I, uh, I, I'm going to be the voice of reason for once in my life. We, uh, we're going a long time here. So why don't we jump into uh, the handicapping portion of the, uh, of the show. We're looking at the late pick five from Belmont on Saturday, May 14th. So the pick five starts with race seven. This is a uh, second level allowance optional claimer for New York brands going seven furlongs on the dirt. 
And I guess, Chuck, the question I have for you in this race is the six mass marauder put up an incredibly high speed figure, at least buyer last time, uh, a jump of 33 points or 23 points. Sorry, my second grade math teacher will be angry at me. I didn't carry the one there. Uh, 23 points. Do you think that number was for real? And is that the horse to beat the six? Or are you willing to play against this horse? And, and maybe that number was a little inflated. Yeah, that, that's a horse that I would always play against. Um, it was on a muddy track, which the horse seems to uh, be okay on. And, and, you know, whenever you see a jump that big for a, an older horse, four-year-old gelding, I, I, just, I just think, you know, the track condition – um, the, the way the race, the race shaped, everything worked out perfectly for that horse in that race. And uh, at three to one, I, I'm going to try to beat that horse. And, and, you know, the one thing I looking over this race, um, and the last race a little bit, but this race in particular is that, you know, you're, you're looking at aqueduct form and now you're betting at Belmont and those are two different tracks that play different, um, and are different surfaces and, and, uh, I think that that's a big factor that that sometimes early in the season in New York that we forget we we overbet the aqueduct numbers and you know we look at um, uh, horses that uh, have been really good at aqueduct but you know Belmont's a different story it's a big you know the, the circumference of the track is different and uh, it's just uh, you know different it's just different and and uh, I think that's something to keep in mind early in the Belmont meet. And I, I take the same approach as you. When you see a big jump like that, especially under certain conditions, I mean, I thought the horse ran pretty well, but uh, I'm willing to play against that horse. And if he wins at a hopefully a short price, and I'll be knocked out of this pick five that we're going over uh, early on. But obviously, he can win um, if he runs back to that. One thing to note: key point who came in second, who put up a ninety something buyer, also in that uh, race. He was a Chad Brown horse who was a second-time starter. He's running as we're recording this on Thursday. He hasn't run yet. Uh, they're up to race five right now, Belmont, on Thursday. Uh, he's running in race eight. He's going to be about three to five in that race. So um, you might want to check back. I don't know if that will affect your betting out there, but if you want to check back and, and see how Key Point ran Thursday, race eight at Belmont, and, you know, I usually don't look to look at that necessarily, but if he runs a lot slower than he did, maybe that number is inflated. Uh, so I have two horses I'm going to use here possibly a third because he's a price. Um, but Chuck, is there someone in here that you like, if you're going to try and beat the six, who are you trying to beat him with? Um, there was a couple, uh, I actually, the, the, um, the other Rudy Rodriguez horse was one who I looked at. Uh, it was off the claim. They claimed the horse for 62, five, uh, from Mark Hennig. And the horse seemed like he had tailed off a little bit from his best form, but, they're dropping him in for 45. And the fact of the matter is that with the purse in this race of 85,000 and he gets claimed, if he were to win and get claimed, it would get about $90,000 back for a $62,000 claim, um, you know, about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. So it, the drop isn't as suspicious as, as it normally would be because the purse is so high. The fact he reaches out and gets Irad to ride the horse um, is something that kind of attracted my attention. Um, now he is, uh, unfortunately coupled with, uh, St. Shelby, who's the, the address horse, uh, with, you know, similar ownership. Michael Dubb is the owner. So that's going to depress the price on the one. Unfortunately, um, I was kind of hoping maybe the one a will scratch, 
But uh, you know, it's funny. I'm I'm jumping in for one second. I'm sorry. I like the one A a lot, and I'm not against the one. So usually, I don't like entries for the reason you said. But mm-hmm. I, I like the one also, so I don't mind having both of them if they're going to be four to one. But but I like the one A, and I'll talk about them after you're you're done though. I mean, the the one thing about the one A is that people always, uh, not you in particular, but people love the lightly raced horse because it seems like they like. Um, the, the possibility that the horse might like be a really good horse, but you know, this horse is, is he's got gaps in his, his, uh, his schedule all over the place and he's going to take pace pressure. Um, there's, there's quite a bit of early speed in the race. And uh, I mean, to me, he's a horse that, you know, when you're running against these horses that have 35 starts and have won eight or nine races lifetime, those are tough horses. And for a horse with only two or three starts to me, that that's, um, even though that those are the, you know, the sexier picks, those kind of horses, I try to avoid because more and more often than not, they're over bet. Um, because you know, like this horse in particular, it's got three starts, it's got two wins. Um, I, I I'm just like, you know, to me, I I'd rather have a horse like the one who runs a little bit faster on a regular basis. That's got a little bit more of a, uh, um, you know, stalking style. He's, he's a little bit out of form. So there is that. Uh, I, I thought, you know, for a, you know, take a, a swing, um, maybe Foolish Ghost, the four horse Ray Handles horse, uh, mostly because he likes Belmont. He's been very good at Belmont. Uh, and he comes off of a race that, uh, that just was, um, you know, he, he didn't fire at all. So, I mean, to me, that's just a, you know, you, you draw a line through that one and, and you know, see what you got. But these are, you know, these, these in this pick five sequence, you, you really need a price here because a lot the rest of this pick five, um, it seems like chalk might be uh the order of the day. So to me, here is in this sequence, I'm trying to beat uh I'm trying to beat um you know the favorites. And I, I'm not against Foolish Ghost. That's the third horse where I most likely will use. Two back, he dueled Amundsen, who's a pretty good New York bred, who came in uh, fifth in that race. So he kind of put away Amundsen. Amundsen was 8-1 to one in the race. It wasn't like he was a favorite. But uh, that was also against uh, Stakes competition. And then last race, you mentioned, you know, he didn't really run too well, but he did chase. He was basically dueling three wide early against the two favorites who held one, two, but one of them came back to win the Holly U. So, I mean, he was running against legit horses last time and he did chase the pace at least. So I'm not against foolish ghosts at all. The reason I like the 1A, and you made valid points why you wouldn't like the 1A. I just think his races are a lot better than they look. Uh, His race two back, which granted was a year ago in June, uh, he was stalked really hard by a nine to two shot in that race. So I ended up fading to last. So it was a legit pace for him to almost hold on. I was, uh, I was very impressed. And of course, I mean, really impressed. Uh, and then he had a year layoff basically. And he came back and I thought he did uh, pretty well. He had a, it doesn't say it, but he had a slightly awkward start. He was in a, a duel while three wide with two horses who, you know, weren't the favorites, 11 to one, seven to one, but you know, they faded some. I, I thought he ran really hard for his comeback race. And I think we're going to see big improvement. It is a little scary with all the layoff lines like Chuck mentioned, but I definitely like the horse. And the good thing, this is where my entry, I don't mind as much um, having gemography because if he does go too fast and there's a pace duel, you have gemography to kind of pick up the pieces and hopefully they don't kill each other price-wise. Uh, obviously, you're getting a little less price-wise having them both, but I think they would both be similar odds if they were not couples. So I, I don't know. 
Um, I hope Mass Marauder takes the money. And then the, the favorite, I know you said you're going to try and play against favorite. I assume you meant seven lilies. And this horse looks tough. The only thing is the horse doesn't win. Uh, two back, he got squeezed, bounced around at the start. He was well back. I, I mean, he ran better than it looks there based on that start. Again, it doesn't say it in the PP. So that was two back on seven lilies. You know, last race, he kind of just ran, no excuse, but he ran pretty well. Got 91 buyer in very good form for a seven-year-old gelding here. Uh, just doesn't seem to win. So I guess that would be the argument against him. But I, I'm on the entry mostly here. I, I like Foolish Ghost. I'm not against the nine, seven lilies, but I will be playing against the six mass marauder. Is there anything else you want to mention, Chuck, about the race uh, before I go to GQ to wrap it up? The, the, the one the one horse in the race who just was completely perplexing to me is Bronx Bomber. And that he's <laughs> he's never shown speed before, uh, at least, you know, in, in this decade. And last race, he just blows to the top and then and crushes them and 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 just happens to get claimed as well and you know ortiz is named and like a repeat of that race puts the horse right there but um i mean he he's a horse that was 0 for 10 last year he he was uh so we we know he was he's one for his last 14 and uh, he's 0 for 9 at Belmont, but it's like that. Those are the kind of races that kind of just make me shake my head. And then, like, where did that come from? You know, like, um, yeah, I guess and he got that a little bit. Yeah, you know? to me, like, it's it's the drop, and then he got an easy lead. So I think his number is inflated. So that's a horse I'll happily play against. But like you said, if he runs back to that figure or something close, he, even he, just he to, to be a, a, a content, you know part of the pace you know because yep. there seems like there's a lot of pace and it's like what the hell did that come from you know where where did that race show <laughs> up but uh yeah i mean i i th those are not the type of horses i bet i usually bet against them but you know just I, i'm just trying to think like is this horse going to get involved and you know really heat the pace up and that that's that seems like a distinct possibility thank you any thoughts I, I was since you guys were talking about Bronx Bomber, Chuck. May, maybe he's shown the speed, and I'm not that familiar with this bug. You know, Gomez, just a change in rider. Maybe he's more aggressive. Or Eric, you're ready to jump in? Yeah, no. Go uh, Gomez has made a name for himself, being extremely aggressive in a colony that doesn't like to go to the front. He he goes to the front all the time, and it's been very good for him. So, not to answer for Chuck, but um, I don't know how much New York he's watching, but yeah, definitely. That was a big part of it, I'm sure. So, and and no, I was kind of gravitating to Bronx Bomber because it, I could be wrong, but I think that going from an open state bred claimer to a non-winners of what you know, two other than I think that's kind of no that that's a that's a move up. Well, Chuck knows that. I'll let him answer, but to me, that's a big move up. But Chuck can answer that. Even yeah. It, it is. I mean, a, okay. E even though it's an open claimer. Yeah. Cause this is a $45,000 claimer. So you can enter, but, but it's conditional claimer, but you can put your horse in for 45 if you want, even if you've won this condition 17 times, it, it's, it seems oh, like a lot, tag. a lot of, tags. it seems like a lot of the open claimers are, are full of New York reds anyways in New York. Okay. You know, it's such an advantage having a New York red in New York because you run for that, uh, you know, the bonus money and, and it's, you know, after you get through your conditions, you have races like this. Like you said, you run for 45, you, you keep running for 45 till someone takes and, and purses is, is double that. So you win the race. You're, you know, you get, you you're win the race. You get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, move on and, start, you know, try the next one. 
right. And, and just the only other observation. Um, yeah, he is 0 for 9 at Belmont, but he, he's 0 for 12 on off track. And, and of the three Belmont races that you can see in the PPs, two of them were on off track. So maybe the majority of his Belmont races were on off track because on a fast track, he's got five wins out of 23 starts. So um, that's why, you know, at the 6-1 price plus getting um, Jose Ortiz back on, uh, yeah, that that's one that I gravitate to. So you can move on. All right. Yeah, that's one that if I I don't think I'll bet this race because I like to bet when I like a price and I don't like the favorite. And I'm not against the favorite and my horses that I like are not big prices. But I can guarantee you that Bronx Bomber would not be anywhere on any tickets, even if I bet Superfectus. So um, but I don't want to talk you off him or anyone. Please do what you like. But yeah, horse easy leads against weaker or horses I usually bet against. Although you get a price. It's not like he's going to be a favorite. So anyway, let's let's move on. Uh, race eight is a grade one. They kind of snuck in here. Uh, the man of war, he came up with a small field. You have two powerhouse horses here. Uh, Chuck, can anyone beat Gufo or Yabir, or is it just one of those two? You know, the question is this, is, is Ken uh, Aban, Aban or whatever, <laughs> I, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, but uh, can he shake loose of so high and get far enough ahead under reasonable fractions to be able to hold off one of the two favorites? Um, you know, this is a race where you really got to take a stand. You can't use both of them because there looks like there's going to be, you know, the favorites are going to be very strong in the fourth leg. Um, we didn't really come up with a whole lot of long shots in the first leg. If you're talking about two even money shots or a four to five shot and even money shot in this leg, I mean, we're talking really chalky. So uh, he was the only one I could see outside of the two obvious horses. I mean, uh, Easter just isn't that good. Um, the horse really didn't show that much in Europe. And uh, his race here was just okay. Um, uh, the Highland Chief, the same story. I mean, uh, he kept really good company over in Europe, but that was, you know, his good races were two years ago. So he, you know, he ran one time at Aqueduct and didn't really do anything. He got pinched a little bit to start, the comment was, but he really didn't pick up, he didn't pick his feet up after that. And it would seem to be a real tough ask for, for him. And so high just is, is, you know, wildly over, over his head. But, um, you, you know, it looks like Yabir versus, Gufo. And uh, the one thing about Yabir is he, he did get beat um, in his last race. You can find the race on YouTube where he he looks like he was going to win. <laughs> and then he just kind of couldn't couldn't pick up that that horse, that last horse, um, which. Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's just too good for these. Gufo was really good in this last, but he didn't really beat anybody in that race. The Pan American was very, very soft, and Abdan was was really the only other legit horse in the race, and um, uh, Gufo looked really good. Um, but, I mean, to me, you just got to pick your poison with those two. And we have a loyal listener who I won't mention, and we mentioned his name last week, but he's a big Tribuvin fan. I tried to tell him Gufo is better, but he didn't listen. So we'll see what happens. If I don't pick Gufo, he's going to be upset with me. But uh, yeah, Yabir's last race was interesting. Uh, sounds like you watched Chuck, and 
he was like, first of all, there was zero pace in the race. I know a lot of times in Europe, there's no pace, but there was zero pace. He was being like strangled back by uh, William Buick there. Um, and, and I don't know enough about this. So I, I wish I can like show you the replay now. I know you probably saw it, but I don't know if you noted it. It almost looked like he didn't like the footing, the way he was running. I, I don't know. It just looked funny. So if you guys want to go back and watch that replay from Newmarket last time. Um, so with no pace, it looked kind of funny the way he was running. He was being strangled back and just, like you said, couldn't get up. I, finish, I don't uh, that, That's an uphill finish, too. Oh, so, is it okay? Yeah, but, yeah, I, I kind of saw the same thing. I mean, they take it back. And he, he gets way back. Um, I mean, both his races he won in the U.S. last year. To me, he was just a better horse. I mean, even in the Breeders' Cup, and it wasn't the strongest Breeders' Cup turf. It really was was kind of, you know, he he was um, he was eight to one. I can't even remember who the favorite was, but it wasn't the strongest one. But I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of horses at Delmar finishing like he finished. And you know, maybe he's just better on the on the U.S. courses that are just a little bit firmer and flatter. And it's, it's supposed to rain a little bit, but the forecast has kind of died. Originally 60%. Last I checked, it was 30%. So maybe we'll stay firm. And it was supposed to rain on Friday in New York. And then they kind of took that away too, last I checked. So, uh, but yeah, my comments and all his rays before that, I mean, he finishes like a shot every race. So he's impressive. Gufo, I've always been a big fan of. Um, I mean, I think Ybir is probably a little better than Gufo. Um, but I agree it's one of those two. Out of the long shots, I actually like Easter. I know you mentioned he's not that good. And I don't totally disagree with you. Yeah, I mean... There's just not much else. Um, I didn't like his race three back at Longchamp. I can't pronounce it too well. Uh, I just thought he had an easy lead, and the horse chasing him was eight to one, hung on. I thought he ran better at Chantilly, if that's how you pronounce it. Um, he was kind of ranked throughout. So even though it seemed like he had a good trip that race two back, um, he, he was ranked and fighting his rider throughout. So I, I think he actually ran better than it looks there. I don't know what he was running against. but um, And then his first race uh, in the States here at Aqueduct in April, coming off a layoff, probably I'm sure he needed the race. So essentially, I'm sure I would think he needed the race. He, um, he really just walked out of the gate. I mean, he was really slow. And there was no pace in that race. Now, hopefully for him, although it's going to help his two rivals here, Yabir and Gufo, Hopefully get a little bit of pace, possibly with so, probably won't, but so high and, and Aban, someone should go and I can't imagine it's going to be cooking on the lead there, but, you know, maybe get a little bit of a, a pace and not just totally walking the dog in 116 or 117. So I, I think Easter has a chance to improve here. I, I mean, I think it's too big of a step up to beat Gufo and Yubir, but, you know, if you pick one of those two and, you know, Yubir or Gufo, maybe, you know, Easter somewhere underneath, perhaps. Um, GQ, any thoughts? Yeah, let, let me just say that um, William Buick is his only mount on the entire Belmont card uh, for your beer. But I think it's uh, Abon is interesting as far as uh, I, I don't see that so high is going to stay, you know, keep, keep pace with Abon. But even I think no matter how slow Abon tries to slow it down, I, I just think it, my beer is, is too good. So I'm totally dissing Gufo. And I, I think so high is actually, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think so high is going to actually go to the lead here, but maybe I'm wrong. Nah. No. Nah. All right. You want to do a beer? Who's, who's going no, to be on the lead? I don't, the back nah, because pacing <laughs> these races, jockeys do whatever. So I'm not, I'm not betting that one. All right. So I think we uh, agree that it kind of, you're bearing Gufo kind of lay over the field. And depending on what you're doing in other legs, it's, it's, 
probably not wise to submit both of them. Maybe if you're singling like a 12 to one shot in another leg, you can do that. But, um, you know, if you're not going uh, with some prices elsewhere and, and betting against chalk elsewhere, you might not want to use both of them. It's usually not smart to use two even money choices. All right. So we'll go on to rate. Unless so, someone has, oh, go ahead. So you're, you're all in on idea. Not really. I, I'm probably going to look at the price and see who's the higher price. Uh, and probably go that way. I'm assuming Yubile is going to be favored over Gufo, but may, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, and I think they'll both be a little shorter than the morning line, but maybe I'm wrong on that as well. And so so for our listeners who may not be in tune with how you're going to determine that the second race of the sequence, you're going to be looking at the, the probables and the double, right? I definitely will. And if one of them is a heavy, heavily favored or significant mm-hmm. over the other, I'll, I'll use the longer price because I don't think there's that much. I do think Yubile is better, but I don't think there's – a ton separating them. Um, but, you know, gun to my head, similar price. I, I would use your beer in this spot. I, th- I think your beer is going to be three to five. I agree. And I think Gufo, though, is going to be like even money. And then everyone. Even money. Like, yeah. I think it'll be, be six to one, something like that, seven to one. And then everyone else will yeah. be 20 to one, you know, up high. So, um, right. yeah. So I, I guess I got to decide if, if three to five compared to even money is worth it. So, so another, another bad line by David Erica. No, no, no. It's a good morning line. He does a good job. I can't wait to get to the Peter Pan. I know. We got to discuss your morning line. Well, guess what? Why don't we go there now since we spent a lot of time in a race where we think basically two horses have a chance. Um, and that's race nine. I hope I didn't skip any. The Peter Pan for one mile. One of my favorite races always. Uh, Freedom Child in the Mud I was at Belmont for. That had to be about eight years ago. He sires every horse in Maryland now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming if uh, he, he was one of the best mud horses, he only had a few races. I think he was out of Malibu Moon, if I'm not mistaken, but love my freedom child. And there's a horse out of Malibu Moon right away. Set sail, the one horse. This is a race where I think when people look at it on paper, most people will think it's wide open because like Chuck said about the sequence, you have race eight where there's like one or two horses that probably you know will win. Uh, the next race we're going to get to is probably like between two horses also. People are going to go singling or very short there. I'm assuming most people will spread in this race. And the morning line is very spready, if you will, where you have four horses between three to one and four to one, and then another horse who's six to one. I'm going to take a different approach here. And I'm actually going to single this race in the sequence. My ticket will be pretty you know, cheap. And then I can bet it for a few bucks, I guess, uh, and press with the horse I like more. Uh, so I'm going to single this race in a horse that I, I've kind of been liking the last few races. Uh, Chuck, do you see this, though, as a wide open race? Or is there someone here that you think stands out in your mind uh, i mean i see three horses that i might use and um it, it's kind of a tough race in that uh the contenders i mean a lot of them are just coming out of maidens and or you know like we the people coming off of a really bad race um you know you got the mandela shipper on the rail uh, coming off a you know a pretty good maiden win, um, I don't know that he beat much, and you know that that horse is kind of the X factor in here for me. I don't really know, um, I, I don't really know which way I'm going to go with him. At, uh, I mean, to be honest, I, this is a race that that I really didn't have a great feel for. And I, I mean, the one horse that you mentioned, Set Salu, uh, for for Mandela. Broke his maiden going a mile at um, Santa Anita last time. He dueled a six to five shot who finished last. So I know, Chuck, you're kind of new to the show here, but um, I talk about this all the time. When you're dueling on the lead, it's 
takes a lot out of you usually. And when you duel a favorite and that favorite fades to the back, there may be something wrong with that horse, but you know, to duel the, the other best horse in the race or the best horse in the race to the back is very impressive. So I really like that effort. The question is what you brought up just because the other horse was favoring that race. It was a maiden race who was in it. So if he had done that against some better horses, I would love the one horse. I still like him, but that's not the horse that I'm going to go with. So uh, since well, you kind of are a little wide open, yeah. oh, go ahead. Thank you. Well, I mean, just look back at Set Sales' debut. I mean, the winner came back to win, and the horse that ran second came back to win. And you're going to say, oh, well, who did they beat? What if they've dropped some maiden uh, claimers and they got perfect trips how, against poop fields with three horses? That's how, why I don't like looking at that, but how, how it's a would, fair point, I guess. How would the winner of that maiden special come back and run in a maiden claimer? Well, and how about he, he runs he in a 5,000 non-winners of two? Yeah, five nickel uh, claimer, non-winners of two at Mountaineer. Maybe they shipped him. We don't know. But, no, you can look it up. But I don't really care. because And horses improved. Maybe that horse is the first time starter and he, you know, improved uh, second and before, out. And, go ahead. And, before, and, and then before you reveal who you like, I assume – the horse you like, you you prefer my morning line. Absolutely. Davis. <laughs> GQ sent me his morning line. It's not totally off from Davis. And I did correct you, I think. At first, I said, yeah. more. you know what it was? Because I got mistaken with the number. So I thought you put my horse at like four to one or whatever. But that was actually we the people. You put at that price. Yeah, my horse at 10 to one or something like that. And then I'm like, oh, oh no. it's good except that's, for Golden be, Rider. And that's be right. That's the one that David, uh, I think, got right, but I hope you got right. So for those who are listening who have no idea what we're talking about, um, I, I like the five Golden Glider. Um, I, I know the Tampa Bay Derby was not that good of a race, if you want to call it that, for a grade two at least. Um, Classic Cardsway, I thought, had an ideal setup, which is why I didn't like him coming out of that race. Um, I don't mind that he ran you know, crappy in the next couple of races because I, I didn't like him out of that race. Um, I thought Golden Glider ran better than Classic Causeway because Golden Glider in the Tampa Bay Derby is the only horse to make up any ground. I think it was basically a merry-go-round. The eight horses ran around the track and Golden Glider closed. So I was impressed with that. Granted, it wasn't against great horses in my opinion, but even GQ, if you remember, you like Grantham at 50 to one. He just, I think, hugged the rail and stayed second the whole way and hung on. So um, that horse may never win another race. I hope he didn't win since then because then I'll look foolish saying that. But um, so I like Golden Glider's race two back in the Tampa Bay Derby. I, I, he was the only horse out of that race that I wanted to bet back at all. Uh, he goes in the bluegrass. And first of all, you had Zandon and Smile Happy, who were probably, other than Epicenter, the two favorites at that point for the Derby, probably second and third choice or roughly there. Um, and, and they didn't, well, I think they, I didn't watch the replay. I don't think Smile Happy embarrassed himself in the Derby. And obviously, Zandon ran 30, probably got a good setup. I don't know if he hit trouble. I didn't watch the replays, but you know, he acquitted himself relatively well, uh, I guess. Um, but Golden Glider was in a, a Fairly tough field. Granted, the middle of the field might not have been great. He pressed the pace, which he's never done. He um, he chased Emmanuel, who came in third. And, you know, Emmanuel was probably hype more than he is good. There was more hype. But, you know, he's still probably a decent horse. Um, you're talking about horses coming off maiden wins. And you're talking about a guy who was, you know, running in a race with Zandon and Smile Happy and Emmanuel. And he ran against his style for some reason. And he didn't run all that bad. So, Every way, even that race, his speed figure jumped up again, uh, even though I think he might have run better in the Tampa Bay Derby, but it's questionable. I, I think this horse has another step up. I hope there's pace in here with the one set sale, the two electability. Uh, there might have been another horse. We'll see. And I think Golden Glider has shown he can be close. He can be back. And I think the one turn will suit him well. And I hope he comes late 
and wins the race. Is he a standout? Absolutely not. But in a race where I can make a case for four or five different horses, I'm going to take a stand with Golden Glider. And if I'm right, great. If I'm wrong, well, I can always bet Sunday Belmont as well. So that's where I am in this race on Golden Glider. Uh, Chuck, before I throw to GQ, is there anything else you want to talk about since I did most of the talking here? No, I, I think that, um, I, I mean, I understand your point on Golden Glider. And a matter of fact, I think David did a little bit of a too good of a job in the morning line here because, I mean, if I'm in the morning line, I probably would have had him about six, eight to one. Um, he was, you know, he was, he, he was 60 to one last time. He was right. 40 to one as a race before that. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure that the, the bluegrass was a paceless race. Emmanuel wound up on the lead um, after kind of bombing in this race before. But it, it was kind of an interesting tactic change. Uh, for for Golden Glider, and and he didn't run bad, but like I don't know what he really wants to do, and you know, like is he just going to go back to revert to, to to taking back and making one run because that doesn't work that great at at, at Belmont uh, around the one turn unless you get like a super fast pace, and I mean there might be pace in here, but uh, you know Chad wants his horse to lay off the pace because that's basically what he does. Um, Mandela's horse from the rail, you're figuring is going to send out him, and they have a long, long run, you know, straight away. Um, so generally, you can find position if you want to. You know, Mandela's shipping is is another thing. The guy doesn't just show up. Um, you know, he, he's the Brisnet has him at uh, at thirty three percent as a shipper. Uh, now, of course, that may include shipping to Golden Gate. Not that he does that very often, but um, that that's a pretty healthy stat. Uh, I mean, it's 43 starts, but, you know, the guy doesn't just show up. He, he, this horse is eligible for an other then in California. That you would have to figure he'd be um, the favorite in. And he shows up here. And I, I don't know what to make of the Chad Brown horse electability. I, I would think that... Uh, um, you know, the switch to Irad always draws money. Chad's always going to draw money. He might just be a little bit over bet. Um, I'm not sure how good the fields he was winning, uh, the, you know, the horse he was running in against that aqueduct are. Uh, the fact that Chad tried him first time out on the turf, even though he doesn't really, you know, bred for the turf and he's a gelding. So he is a $300,000 gelding. Kind of says to me that, this one wasn't one of the better horses and he's cleared an allowance condition and where else are you going to go? There's just not that many races. Uh, there's, there's just not that many chances for horses like that. And he's going to give them a shot here. Um, but I don't really like him. And the Pletcher horse, uh, complete agenda took a while to break his, his maiden. And, and again, I, I'm not sure that, uh, that that was the world's greatest race. He, he, he down at Goldstream. He was having trouble. He couldn't break his maiden at Tampa. So I, I don't know about him. We the people is kind of the one that scares me and that he kind of galloped, you know, his both both his first two starts. He was, uh, you know, very close to being the favorite in the Arkansas Derby. And he didn't fire at all. And I hated him in that race. I, I, I didn't see a path to victory for him because he drew the outside post and there was speed inside of him, And it just didn't look like he was going to get a, a, anything other than a, a three or four wide trip. 
um, he got all worked up and, and before the race and, and then just never fired. Uh, you know, Pratt is, is, is good. He sticks. Uh, he's the horse that that's, you know, kind of the one that, that I would say might be the, the horse that wins this race by five or six lengths. And, and, and everybody's like, well, shit, we knew he was a good horse and we just should have thrown the Arkansas Derby out. And, um, you know, the outside of him, the other ones, the outside horses, I, I don't see any of them really being big factors. Um, I don't know why state planning isn't running into Mike Lee in two weeks would make a whole lot more sense against New York three-year-old New York Reds going seven eights, but um, just, I'm but just worried if, if state planning doesn't win that Juan Vasquez is going to punch Trevor McCarthy because I think he's done that before. I'm surprised to see Trevor riding for him. That's a shock. I don't um, like Juan Vasquez. I'll be I'll, I'll say that right here. And if Juan Vasquez oh. wants to have a fight with anybody, I'll be glad to fight him. Well, he oh, picks on uh, little jockey. So. <laughs> no, we uh we're not Juan Vasquez fans, although. As betters, we're, we're not dumb. I mean, sometimes we, we have to bet him if uh, you know he has a horse. Oh. <laughs> if he's in the race and you like his horse, you bet his horse. <laughs> Even if you don't like him, sometimes <laughs> you have to because <laughs> somehow they, they run well. But oh, we any accusations magic. here. Yep, magic. Ma- magic grits he uses. Um, all right, so just a couple real quick points to touch upon what Chuck said. So I looked up Mandela. Last five years, he's had one runner at Belmont. It was Tiz the Magician, I believe. I should have kept my screen on who was favored in the uh, Brooklyn Handicap, Tism- Tism Magician, I don't know if I said it right, who was favored in the Brooklyn Handicap in 2021 last year, and he ended up coming in second, it looks like. I believe if I did the formulator right, that's his only Belmont starter in the last five years, which shocks me, but maybe Saratoga a couple. Uh, what else do I want to mention? Yada, yada. Oh, we the people. In the Arkansas Derby, he actually had some trouble that uh, is not noted. If you watch on the second turn, the hole, as they start the second turn, the hole kind of closes up on him and he has nowhere to go. And he kind of, you know, takes back a little bit and he was starting to move. I don't know if he would have made a big run or not, but he was starting to move a little bit. So I can forgive that. He lost momentum at a key point there. Um, and that's the horse other than the one I'm most scared about. So, uh, you know, I'm on Golden Glider, but the four, we the people on the one set sale, the two that scare me the most. Western River, the six. I thought he had a great setup to close on the undercarded um, Oakland that day in the Arkansas Derby. So, you know, I, I would be against him. And, you know, like you said, the seven and eight, I don't think really have a shot. So I just want to throw out some, uh, some points there on some of the horses that you touched upon. Uh, GQ, any, any thoughts? No, uh, other, other than I, I kind of like the two horse, but, you know, look, looking back his last race, you got a Brisnet 92 uh, in a uh, nine winners, one other than, which is exactly what we, the people, got two back before he tried the Arkansas Derby. Um, same exact number, even though we, the people's race, looks more impressive because he won by five versus a head. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll be the Mr. Chalky McChalkmeister and gravitate to the unproven horse, which I see where you're coming from, Eric, that, you know, Golden Glider's been facing the big boys uh, and, and doesn't look impressive. And um, kind of like what, what Chuck said, because he was kind of cold on the board, that's why I kind of gave him more of an eight-to-one, six-to-one morning line versus the four-to-one. So, uh, yeah. 
watch. He'll probably go five one, right? <laughs> we'll see. So, I'll, I'll I'll take David's side on that one. But I hope you guys are right about it because I'd love to get a higher price. Um, anything else? No, that that that's all I got. So I I I would I I'd like to and gravitate to the uh, you know we the people and Golden Glider since they've taken on much better than what they're facing today. All right, I love it when you go against the guest advice. So it makes for a fun podcast. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Chuck, anything to add or you want to move on to race 10? No, that's fine. I'm good. All right. Uh, race 10, the Bogey, which for some reason always comes up like a grade one race uh, or not, not as a deep field, but the best horses always show up for this. Like Harvey's little Goyal showed up last year. I think is an excellent horse. And you got a couple of big boys or big girls in this case um, in the Bogey, the grade three, a mile and a 16th on the inner turf. And remember they start kind of on the turn there. So generally speaking, and Chuck can correct me if I'm wrong, you, you probably want to be towards the inside here, but it's such a small field that might not matter too much. Um, Chuck, is it just a simple matter, kind of like the race before? Which of the two uh, favorites win? Which Chad horse do you like? Or, or is there someone else here in this spot? Uh, to be honest, I think that Rough here is, is, is just a lot better horse than the Mista. Um, I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of her. as uh, She really... The Beverly D last year was, was outside of Mean Mary and Santa Barbara. It was, was really a soft field. Um, and she just kind of ran around there. I mean, she didn't get beat far, but Santa Barbara gave him a lot to do. And, and, and she just ran by her. Um, I mean, she didn't really do any running in the Diana and the Bogey. Uh, she got beat by Harvey's little girl, who's a good horse, but she was, it was kind of a screwed up race, but, uh, you know, I, I just think that, um, I just think the, the, the French Philly is just better than her, um, you know, she comes out of, of, you know, much stronger races and has better form uh, in Europe. That said, I, like I said, man, it, it's hard. It's hard to bet chalk, 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 chalk. I know. And, 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 and these races, it's just, this is a race that I actually have an opinion on a horse that maybe can upset them. And, um, and that would be uh, the six high opinion um, who, who is funny because last year, She beat me out of a of a of a of a a big number at uh, Saratoga by running in the balsam spot. She really ran well, and I I didn't think that that she would. But um, you know, she she followed that form up with a good race and and the the noble damsel. She gets a little time off. She comes back and and Dutro starts her out in a six furlong race. I mean, this is the filly that that started the race. You know, started out last year running in mile and 16th and a mile and a quarter races. So that clearly was just a prep race. She was really rolling at the end. And I'm, I'm just looking for a horse that, that maybe can get some momentum and just run by them. And uh, I don't think anybody else is really good enough to win, to beat the one or even for, to a lesser degree, the two. Um, if Lamista wins, I lose because I'm just not, I don't think she's as good as rough, rough here. And, um, I'm just not going to use her just because she's going to be a, a short price. And like I said, uh, you can't use all the short prices, but, um, I, I would probably use the one and, um, and, and try the six, try high opinion. Just thinking that, uh, you know, off that one prep, she might be, uh, you know, she might be 
be better. And I know Dutro's numbers look a little ugly, but you know, the guy's a really good trainer. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a small sample size. He just hasn't done a whole lot yet this year, but um, you know, and, and it, even beyond the, the, uh, the pick five, I, I might bet a, a nice exacto with uh, one, six cold. Nice. Um, the one outsider that I like, if we're not talking about the top two is next door to your six. And that's the seven hour flash drive at 15 to one. I guess I'm on the Cassie Dylan Davis bandwagon a little bit here. Um, listen, I don't know if this horse can beat the top two probably can't, but out of the other horses this is the one I like, um, two back. I thought ran pretty good in the, or pretty well, I should say in the sands point, um, stalked the uh, favorite in the race who was higher truth six to five, who I think is a Chad Brown horse. I could be wrong. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say did dirty work. It wasn't like it was that fast of a pace or anything, but you know, the time looked slow, but it, it was somewhat contested and, um, higher truth faded, oh, not faded, but finished third and didn't hold on. So, um, you know, I like when they stalk the leaders like that or stalk the favorites or, or duel the favorites. So I thought that race was pretty good. She was a three-year-old at the time. So, you know, the end of her three-year-old year, she gets some time off comes back as a four-year-old. And honestly, I didn't think ranked great. She just saved ground all the way around to shifty. She just, I think had an easy lead um, and couldn't catch her. But, you know, you talk about like a prep race, definitely for uh, the six furlong race for high opinion, your horse uh, check there that you mentioned was a prep, but you know, in a way last race might've been somewhat of a a prep race or, um, you know, gearing up. And I I think this horse is going to step forward. If she improved since her three-year-old season, you know, other than the top two, I think she's the next, best horse for the odds that you're getting personally. I'm, a, I'm anti Plum Ali. I've talked about this before, so I don't want to like live in the past, but Plum Ali was part of a huge pick five. I hit at Kentucky downs uh, a couple of years ago. Now it's been, and I almost left Plum Ali out. Um, I, it's not even on the, uh, Oh no, it's on the PP. She was six to five, the juvenile Phillies. Yeah. It was Memorial day weekend, uh, 2020. So it's still on there hanging on. And it, I think it was the second leg of the pick five or, maybe third, but I think it was second leg. And I liked a, a 10 to one shot and Plum Ali was my other horse. I'm like, should I cut her? I had like $192 base, you know, pick five. I'm like, that's more than I like to spend. I was considering cutting her. I was considering cutting a horse in the last race. I had two horses. I ended up leaving them all in and thank goodness I did. Cause if I would have cut her, I would have cried. But um, I just think she hasn't really improved that much. And she's had like great trips after great trip. So I, I just, listen, could Plum Ali win? I guess, I, I guess she could, but I'm, I'm very much against that horse. I know six to one, it's not like a, a short price I'm, I'm throwing out, but if I do bet the race, she would not be on my tickets. And I try and get flash drive somewhere at the seven, somewhere in there. I, I'm going to, because of the odds, I'm going to take a different approach than Chuck a little bit. And I'm going to lean on La Mista or La Mista. Um, and, and Chuck mentioned it. Ruggier has raced against some monsters and, and really a big class relief here. Uh, she was checked hard in her last race uh, early, uh, that Breeders' Cup uh, race. So first race back, I'm sure Chad will have her ready for you know the race. And Lemis is also off a layoff, so maybe that's why we can pick one of them off, perhaps. But um, I- I'm a huge Santa Barbara fan. I think, am I not mistaken? I don't want to say this if it's wrong, but did Santa Barbara pass away, I believe? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, she got hurt in the paddock. Yeah, it's very sad. I hate hearing that obviously no one likes hearing it but um I, I was a huge and i think gq might remember i was a huge santa barbara fan um so running third to her is, is not necessarily a, a sad thing or or you know doesn't mean anything and mean mary obviously a very good horse so um she ran in this race last year that you referenced against harvey's little Goyle. 
Um, and there was really no pace. She saved ground, but there was no pace in the race. So I don't know. You mentioned it was a weirdly run race. I don't know what to make of it. She closed, which was good, but she did save ground. So maybe they offset each other a little bit. Um, she ran the Diana, but again, she's running. I mean, Altico, terrific course. Harvey Longoyle, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Santa Barbara. So the class relief here is, is immense. And yeah, is Rogier better? Possibly or probably. She's been running better in the past, but I don't know. I think Lamista has a, a better than if they run this race 10 times, I think, you know, maybe Rogier wins it uh, five and Lamista wins it four or three. So if that's the case, I'll take five to two over even money. And maybe I'm wrong, but so that's the favorite. I'll lean on a little more of Lamista trying to get flash drive somewhere in there. So Chuck and I are similar in our approach, just a little different. He, he's more about the one six and I'm more, you know, two seven, but I definitely respect the one here. It's not a horse I would want to necessarily play against and spend a lot of money trying to beat GQ your thoughts before we go to the finale. Yeah, I appreciate you taking us down memory lane to talk about a horse that you don't like right now in order to bring up your good fortune. Uh, from well, that's the only reason I bring it up. I mean, anytime I have a score, the rare times I got to I gotta mention it. <laughs> okay, so uh, Chuck took, you know, I'm going to make this short and sweet. Chuck uh, stole my thunder with uh, the six high, high opinion for all the reasons that he said, you know, so uh, I think I think he might be spot on. You take a stand again. If you if you think either one of the two top horses, the one or the two, can't get beat, then maybe you take a stand against them running one two, and get a little price for a cold ice cold exacta with the six underneath. All right, so let's move we'll on. Your six. That uh, just for FYI, uh, speak of the devil who just absolutely crushed him at uh, at Churchill the other day. First mm -hmm. time Fred Brown in the country was purchased for 2.2 million dollars out of the same sale that uh, rough here was purchased out of uh they went 3.3 million dollars for her so peter brandt spent about six million bucks on uh, <laughs> two fillies and uh, one filly definitely looks like she's worth it and we'll, we'll see about this one well that makes me worry now because if you spent that much on the one i'm sure they're expecting returns here so uh maybe they have their height site set higher than a grade three maybe you know we'll get lucky or i'll get lucky and you know they'll have her prep maybe later for to peak later in the year. I don't know, but most likely the one will probably win. All right, let's go to uh, race 11 because the way this pick five sets up, it looks like first race, I think people are going to spread a little bit, but probably add a lot of chalk in that spread. That entry we mentioned, the nine horse who's five to two, the six horse who's three to one in that race seven. Uh, I think a lot of people just go with one of the two or both favorites in the second leg. I think the Peter Pan, you'll see a lot of spreading. We talked about it in the last race. You'll see mostly people using the one and two. And then I can see people really spreading in the last leg here. Um, th this to me was, um, it was a tough race, but it wasn't. Like there's a few horses I can see winning it, but I have a fairly strong opinion that one of the three or four that I like are going to win. Um, and, you know, they're not big prices, but they're not necessarily short price chalk. This is impossible to make a morning line for, and I don't know if this morning line is going to be accurate, but I kind of hope it is. So uh, before I say anything about who I'm using here and who I like, uh, Chuck, what do you think about uh, race 11 here? Wide open or 92 morning line favorite, or, or is there someone you think has a really good shot? Uh, I, this was a race that I would use only horses that aren't chalk because of all the obvious chalk and the rest of the sequence. But I think it's a wide open race, and uh, – uh, there's a couple here that I thought were were kind of interesting. I didn't really like like anyone. Um, I'm thinking that the two horse 
being it's one for one lifetime, uh, both on the turf, kind of had a blowout win and it's maiden might get a little bit more money than, uh, than, you know, David's got our six to one. I was thinking that Philly's probably going to be a little bit shorter than, than that price. Um, even though she is a three-year-old and, uh, against older, um, I, you know, like I can't use her because of, of that, just the price, maybe she's good enough, but I mean, I, I'm going to use master of the tunes a little bit with Jose Ortiz riding for Joe Lee. The horse isn't exactly, you know, knocking at the door, but, but she's run some good races and, and, you know, I like that he reaches out for Ortiz here. Uh, Rigby, the eight, the four horse is a horse that that's, that's thrown in, you know, that has some good races and, and then they got a little ambitious with her, um, our Senator Keeneland and, um, and her back in open company. Uh, so, but she, she's back, you know, against New York breads here. Uh, I throw out the synthetic track race, the last race. And to me, she's, you know, she gets, I read, I, I don't think she'll be eight to one either. Um, those two are really my keys in here. Uh, I think I, I'm probably going to use the seven a little bit too. Trombetta's horse, uh, Dufresne. She's kind of got, you know, decent form. Um, hasn't really, uh, you know, tackled New York breads on the turf other than the one race where she broke her maiden. Um, you know, she, she, to me, looks like a horse that's got a hell of a shot here. At, at ten, I think a 10 to one. She's one that, that I'd be interested in. Uh, and, and I probably will even use the, the eight horse Sue Ellen Michigan to, who broke her maiden super impressively last year, just, just absolutely, you know, crushed a field of, of New York red maidens and then didn't run at all in her next two races. I mean, just, you know, nothing. She comes back, um, you know, Mo Heyman is, is, I don't think he ever ran on the turf, but you know, he's got, uh, He's, he's got tapped blood and, and those horses seem to run on the turf. Um, I mean, she's not like a horse that you'd say, wow, wow. She's really bred for the turf, but at that price, I'm thinking that maybe she can reach back and, and, uh, um, you know, get, get back to that, that first race where she did show some talent, but I mean, I'm really kind of just, you know, looking for, for, for prices here more than anything. Yeah, and I think it's such a hard race to identify who the prices are. Like you said, the morning line, we'll see. And David does a great job, so hopefully it's accurate. Um, you touched upon a few of the horses I, I really like here. I don't think the two is going to take as much money as you think. I, I could be wrong. I'm often, I often am wrong. But, I mean, a horse who had an easy lead against Weaker. Um, I know one for one, people see five, you know, one by five. But I don't know. And Bruce Levine is not, uh, nothing against him as, as a trainer. But, you know, people see him. It's not like they're running to the windows to bet Bruce Levine. But you see Maker and you see Irad, they're running the windows maybe to bet that one. So I, I can even see the four Rigby being favored here, unfortunately, because I do like Rigby. Um, I, I like Rigby, the four. You mentioned his maiden special weight win was, was I thought, very good. He was three wide, you know, chasing a, a decent pace. Uh, he was right up on the pace. He was pretty much dueling on the pace. Um, so I, I thought that was very good. And then they just put him in two spots that were near impossible. And then the synthetics race. So um, if you take out those three raids, it's a lot to ask, but there are reasons to take it out. And that 61 buyer was as a three-year-old. And I think it was better than a 61 based on the ground loss she uh, incurred that day. And, you know, battling a little bit on a, on a strong pace. 
So I definitely like Rigby in this spot, uh, improving here as a three-year-old. I'm very much on Dufresne as well. Uh, very similar to Rigby. You know, Broker uh, made in special weight, first time on the turf. I thought she ran really, really well. She um, dueled a two-to-one shot who came in fifth that day uh, at Saratoga on August 12th. And then they shipped her up to Canada. She went to stakes race against Derinane, if that's how you pronounce it, who was, I want to say, in the Breeders' Cup. And I think I liked it. might have been a Clement, but I'm not sure. Maybe it was a Cassie. Uh, that was a, a, a tough, tough spot. And then the grade three matron uh, was a very tough spot too. I mean, she's 48 to one for a reason in that race. So that was unrealistic. And then they put her against Venti Valentine in the, um, on the dirt. It was sloppy. I don't care how she ran on the dirt. Yeah, you got to deal with the layoff. But other than that, if she improves now as a three-year-old, I think she's much better than her form looks. Um, and that would actually be if I had a top pick, quote, top pick. That, that's the horse I would pick on top if we did it like that. Uh, and the other horse that I want to use, although, again, not huge odds, is the six-horse finest work. Uh, this is a horse who I'm not as high on maybe as the others, but I still uh, really do like. So I'm mostly 4-7 and a little bit 6 here. This is a horse who, if you go back to her maiden breaking win at Parks, and maybe this is too tough a question, Chuck, but how would you equate like a open race at Parks to a maiden special, uh, state-bred maiden special, uh, open maiden special weight, sorry, at Parks, compared to a state-bred maiding special weight in New York. I, I know every race is different. Are they somewhat comparable or, or do you have I, I think on the that? New York bread race is probably tougher. I, I don't think parks runs a lot of turf races that are very good. Um, the one thing that scared me about that race was it's a seven and a half furlong race, which is a two turn race. Mm -hmm. But my question about that Philly is, is sprinting. Um, you know, is, is she really going to, you know, her form, all her turf form, which is all good is all two turn races. Mm -hmm. And this is this is you know obviously a one turn race, so um, that's my my question about that. But you you've seen some pretty good horses come out of parks over the years, but not many turf races, not not many turf horses. It's generally, you know, their dirt racing is is much stronger than the turf racing over there. Right, and in that maiden breaker, she she totally blew the first turn. She went really wide in the second turn, so she might have beat basically like Chuck was alluding to, uh, but she did it impressively considering her trouble in the race. And they brought her to New York, which was smart. She's in New York bread. So why not take advantage uh, running at this level? Granted going longer. She was very rank in that October 21st race. So, you know, I'm sure that took a lot out of her fighting the rider and being ranked. So I, I thought that race was better than it looks. And then, you know, the next race when she uh, came in third at this level, November 13th, she just improved a little more. So each start was getting a little better. Maybe. I mean, and, Nothing against Harold Weiner. I don't really know if that's how you pronounce it. I don't know much about her, but, um, you know, and, and Chuck, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but um, I'm assuming, you know, my opinion of George Weaver is that he's a pretty good trainer. So maybe I'm wrong and I don't know what I'm talking about, but um, I can see that horse being upgraded based on that possibly as well. But um, I just think she improved a lot. She's now four. So GQ will be happy because when you mentioned three-year-olds, Chuck, GQ is like a big proponent of, of older horses for the most part. I know I'm, breaking his uh i'm distorting his view a little bit he'll he'll speak in a moment about it if he wants but um i just think this horse was improving last year i think as a four-year-old could have improved more and um I, I do like finest work and it needs some pace because we'll come from the back uh you got a terrific jockey on so uh I, i'm four six uh four seven with a little six and that's all i'm going the nine scares me palace gossip uh, there's a horse who was basically three wide last race so covered a lot of ground but I thought it was also in a good spot and it was off a layoff. So definitely can improve palace guys. So I have nothing against that horse, but 
you know, we talked about how there's a relatively chalky sequence. Yeah, I'm singling a horse who maybe will pay 11 or 12 bucks if I'm lucky, 13. But, um, you know, I, I'm probably going to lean against Palace Gossip. Nothing against her necessarily, though. So I'm four, six, seven here, and I'm just going to call it a day with that. GQ, I'll let you uh, throw in your two cents, defend your uh, ageism, and then uh, we'll go to Chuck to wrap it up if he wants. Nah, Chuck, what Eric is trying to allude to is I, yes. I, I don't like to bet three-year-olds first time against older, but Eric likes to distort that opinion by saying, oh, GQ, I'm going to single this five-year-old who's running against four- and three-year-olds. So that's not the case. Honestly, you know, they they used to run when I first started training, they used to run scale to weight, Mm -hmm. basically meaning that three year olds at this time of the year would get about 12 pounds from older horses. Right. So I remember being at Churchill Downs running horses and maidens or allowance races with a three year old against older horses. And I could get in at 109 and get Pat Day who could do the 109. (laughs) <laughs> and the older horses would be in at like 122, you know. And right. I was thinking to myself, man, this is like a head start. You know, <laughs> we're, getting like, we're getting 12 or 13 pounds, and I'm getting the best jockey as well because that that, that was the time when Pat Day was just like dominated the Churchill Downs. And, it, it, you know, gradually they've raised the, the scale of weights, which is understandable. Um, but the fact is that three-year-olds now get five pounds, which is not nothing, but it, it's not 10 or 12. So, right. you know, three the, the older horses, uh, the three-year-olds don't quite have the advantage that they used to have. But, uh, you know, it, now now that we have fewer horses, it's just kind of a necessity. You, you just mm-hmm. don't see as many straight three-year-old races as we used to. So true. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to lean on that obviously early in the year in the spring you know my my untrained um horsemanship i just feel that uh they're 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 used to competing against their own kind and then once once they uh go go up against older it might be a different game now obviously it depends on what type of class you know you're you're talking like a three-year-old and get older for the first time to uh, uh, be on them. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to just uh, bring an end to this uh, marathon and say, I, I like the three master of tunes, uh, changing jock. He's got the second highest uh, Brisnet turf speed number, which I, I lean a lot on the Brisnet turf numbers. Uh, and uh, unfortunately the nine to two, High morning line favorite, the nine palace gossip. Uh, I'm concerned about the extra furlong. For some reason, I just think this horse might might only like uh, five, six furlongs. So I'm kind of wishy-washy on that. But uh, I'm with Eric on the, the finest work, the eight horse. I just think uh, maybe, um, even though, Chuck, you had mentioned about parks, turf horses and whatever. Um, he had some issues when, when, when he ran it, Aqueduct and Belmont, and obviously a, a nice upgrade uh, for uh, in the saddle. So I'll go 3-6. Uh, Eric? All right. Chuck, any, uh, any final thoughts on the race or anything? No, it's actually a really good – of all the races that 
we we looked at that was this is probably the best betting race and that there's probably six or seven horses that could logically win the race and you should get a price and i, I don't envy david for trying to make that morning line because that that's this is a tough race. I mean, this, this is really a, a, an excellent race. And I'm not great at turf sprints, I'll be honest with you. But uh, but this is like a, a race that, to me, is is attractive. And you, you get in trouble. Hopefully, ITP isn't listening. And he does listen sometimes because he'll DM me something about certain guests say. But uh, if he heard you say it's a good betting race, he's going to be very upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good betting race is when there's a favorite you don't like that you can bet against. That's that's a good betting race. And that one is too wide open. So. <laughs> But I know what you're saying. Like, you know, there's prices around if you can find someone you like. So kind of like the Peter Pan for me. It's, you know, spread out. Well, spread after, out. after looking at three races where we might be looking at, you yeah. know, a blinking light, <laughs> the fact that we might have like a, a, a three to one favorite and I don't even like them at all. Yeah. You know? Well, then it's good. Yeah. Then it's definitely- we might. I mean, I, I mean, I might, I might have come up with horses that, that aren't first, second or third choices in that race. It's uh, right. And of course, you know, hopefully, you know, the weather holds and all that. But. Can I ask you one question just from a trainer's perspective? We've gone so long, so you can make a brief if you want, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. What do we make of situations where, like, the five, unless there's a jockey change, but, like, the five horse, you have a, a very, very low-profile trainer who doesn't really run in New York much either who attracts a Luis Saez to ride the horse. How, how does that happen, typically? And a lot of times people will be like, whoa, that trainer got Luis Saez. That's something, you know, to note. How do you – what do you make of that? Well, you know – the horse's form is good. I mean, not good like, um, yeah, I'm going to bet the horse. But, you know, he's open in the race. Louis Saez is willing to ride. And you know, some some jockeys wouldn't be willing to ride for, for out-of-town guys. But, uh, I mean, the horse is coming off a, off, a, off a win, raced okay first time out. And, um, you know, if this race comes off the turf, you know, maybe this horse is, is – you know, one of the horses to beat, right? I mean, it's it's got to be have a have a better shot off the turf than than on the turf. But um, the horse also has been at Belmont, and I don't know that I know Lance Trites um, because uh, you know the the filly was trained by someone different last time. But that might be an assistant trainer who was working for one of the other big outfits that just going on his own uh, because the guy doesn't have very many starts. So. I mean, it might be someone that, that Kieran McLaughlin had, knows or has a relationship with. Of, so, you know, they were willing to ride. When, when I first started training, um, uh, hell, the first time, I, the first horse I put in, they didn't even put the right name in the racing form because there was no Charles Simon. So they thought it, I was Leroy Simon, oh, um, which, you know, Max Hodge from Fazek Tipton continues to call me to this day. Mm. But um I remember I had had a relationship with, with Doc Danner, who was Pat Day's agent at the time, because we had played basketball together. And actually, I, I got him a couple mounts working uh, when I was working for Jerkins. And I kept telling him, just come over here and, and you know, he'll put you on one. And he goes, oh, you saw those crazy guys. I'm like, listen, his wife will kill him if he puts those people on. Her horses get the top jockeys. So you go over there and, and, and little did he, he actually won the Amsterdam uh, for us before the Amsterdam was a graded race. But uh, on, on one of Alan's wife's horses, uh, but that that was a situation, you know, where uh, when, when I first started training, he knew who I was and no one else did, you know, and, and that might be the situation here. I, I don't actually know who that person is because I haven't been around New York on the backside much for 
well, hell, about, about uh, I think the last time I was on, I ran horses in New York was like 2017. That was at Saratoga. So, um, but that that's usually that. But that's usually a good sign as well. Like, uh, there was a case last year at Saratoga where there was um, a Maryland guy had a horse in there and uh, one of the top jockeys, might even been Sias, rode in, 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 I think, the last race. And, and, you know, he took them out and he won the race and the horse didn't even have great form and paid like 10, 11 to one. But, uh, but generally that, that's a good sign if, if a jockey, a top, top jockey takes a, a call for a, um, you know, low, low profile connections. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to use the horse, but something you're going to get a big price if you like him and, uh, or want to include him and, uh, something to make note of. All right. So. As we wrap it up, apparently the NFL schedule came out. GQ, I see your uh, message. The, I can't wait for this show in September. I hope we're still on the air because uh, GQ's Baltimore Ravens open the season 0-1 with a loss at the New York Jets next year. Hey, you know what? It's a setup. It's a setup. You see what the date is? What's the date now? 9-11. Oh, man. 9-11 in New York. How can the Ravens Yeah, that's tough to play on. Right. Well, at least you have an excuse now because the new and improved Jets playoff bound New York Jets. Let's just hope Zach Wilson can actually hit a receiver this year because the rest of the team upgraded a lot. I, right, so, anyway, so we need to get Chuck in here. Chuck, who's your who's your NFL? Oh, we don't want to know his team because I think I know it and it's embarrassing. <laughs> it, it, Ryan? It's, it's, it's a team that's going to whip the Jets twice this year. <laughs> the Dolphins. How are you going to guard Tyreek Hill, my friend? How are you? Oh, we got sauce Gardner, baby. <laughs> applesauce. Yeah. Big applesauce. We're going to call him hot sauce after he gets burned. <laughs> yeah, well, when your quarterback has 0.2 seconds to throw the ball because uh, Carl Lawson's coming at him. No. <laughs> I, go ahead. Off the layoff, Carl Lawson. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But he's trained by Juan Vasquez, so it's okay. He, he, he right. boat attendant. <laughs> On that note, so we're not here for three hours, and Chuck was so kind with his time. He rushed home through traffic and everything. Uh, really appreciate it. Sorry for keeping Chuck and everyone else out there here so long, but I hope you enjoyed the show. You can always listen on that like 1.5 speed or something and speed it up and get it done in an hour. So thanks a lot, Chuck. GQ, thank you again, as always. Can't wait for our Preakness episode and we'll see gq live from the preakness next week roaming around getting us some good guests so thanks there GQ. you go man thank All you right. guys thanks thank again you, take care and good luck to everyone out there hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next week ta-ta